Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 84, choosing a Linux distro versus an appliance. Now, we're not going to cover every distro. That's something we want to do next week. We want to, well, yep. we can't cover every distro. We don't have enough time to make an episode that long, but we'll cover some of the major distributions and why you want to do them next week. This week, we want to start with the question of, that I think is a before question of, do I use an appliance or a distro? And right. the answer is yes, but it depends. And it goes both ways. This is a topic that is discussed quite a bit because, well, there's some great distributions out there. There's some great build it yourself that we like talking about. There's also having things like TrueNAS and just having it work and not having to do all the work it gets to build something like that. So there's a lots of pros and cons we're going to discuss today and hopefully give you a few ideas of a few different things to try. Before we jump into that, we're going to thank a sponsor of this show, and that is Linode. Linode has been a sponsor show pretty much since the beginning, and uh, we've been really happy with them. It's a great place to host all of your home lab projects that maybe don't belong in your lab, but maybe you want it in theirs. Uh, if you want something public-facing, you want to run your own VPNs or any services that, well, maybe not suited or are going to get too much traffic for you to handle in your home lab, it's still a lab in the cloud, and you can use the Linode's cloud by using the offer code down below. We thank them for being a sponsor of the show, and uh, let's get started on this, Jay. Yeah, let's get started. So I think we should kind of define appliance versus distro because yes. you, could, you could argue they're the same thing because an appliance is a distro as well, it, but it's not a distro in the way that we think of one. So yes. Um, when we think of, when we talk about Linux distributions, we talk about, you know, the, the common ones like Debian, Ubuntu, Fedora, Red, I mean, I can go on. There's like yeah. 10 million of these. <laughs> um, these are, you know, obviously distributions that, um, are essentially an operating system. You can install on your server, you can install on whatever their general purpose. So I don't care if it's Debian, Fedora, CentOS, you can install Apache, Nginx, whatever your flavor is there, whatever your flavor database server is, it's general purpose. You can make it into a desktop, a server, um, power an IoT device, you could do whatever you want. And people do, obviously. And that's why we have appliances where um, it, it's really hard to start your own distribution. It's, it's immensely difficult. Yeah. And it makes more sense if a distribution exists that's close enough or is close, closer than others to your goal, you're going to maybe consider one of those as your starting point. And when we talk about appliance, it's an application that is installed bare metal. Its focus is being an application, not a general purpose distribution. So XEPNG, for example, would be an appliance, even though it is based on a Linux distribution under the hood. And you can make that argument that there's no difference. It, the difference is in the intent, not necessarily, um, you know, the fact that it's a distribution. They all are. But sometimes the intent is to be general purpose. Sometimes it's just to solve one goal and be a turnkey solution. Yeah. And this is where some distros do blur the line a little bit. Um, I think Open Media Vault is one of them that I've not really used it, but Jay has. And it's yep. interesting because they have two options where you can take and convert your in distribution to run Open Media Vault, or you can download an image of Open Media Vault and set it up. Um, so there are blurring of the lines too, which you know makes definition harder for them so you kind of have to really think about these on a case-by-case -case basis which is why we're going to run through a list of them and tell some of the pros and cons of running them the good the bad of you know to give you some data points when you're making a decision on which one you want to choose right and, and i'll add even uh, more confusion to that proxmox add that to the list too because yeah. you could download proxmox obviously in an iso file 
And you could also install Debian and then manually install the repositories and everything in the packages. And the instructions are right on their website. So it's not like um, you're doing something you're not technically supposed to do. It's in their documentation. So it, it's, you know, you could absolutely do that. Um, but another question is, why do we want to draw the line between them, right? Um, and I think that's something we're going to get to because I don't want to get, you know, jump to the end of the thing here. But just a little teaser for what we're going to do, because we can go over some of the distributions as examples of what or which ones are distributions, which ones are, you know, appliances. And then once right. we have that, we can talk about why is that distinction even necessary? Yeah. So let's talk about the popular ones really quick here. It's going to be Red Hat and, well, what used to be CentOS. Uh, rest in peace, CentOS. <laughs> Yeah. Which, well, CentOS Stream is the new normal, but not everyone wants to move to it. But I totally understand. It's not it's not for everyone. Yeah. And then we have Rocky, which is uh, can you describe Rocky for me a little bit? Well, I like to lump all of these into enterprise Linux is just what I call them. Um, Rocky Linux and Alma Linux, so, uh, they serve the same goal. And some people ask me, which one do you prefer? Uh, both of them. I mean, they're both great. I don't prefer one over the other. Um, so essentially, CentOS, what it used to be, is a um, recompile of Red Hat Enterprise Linux, which requires a subscription to use. But the source is open. So CentOS was, you know, famously that uh, recom recompilation of the distribution to make it um, something you could download for free. And later on, of course, it got purchased and the rest is history. CentOS moved to a different format instead of being a direct recompile. It's more in the middle. It's not quite streaming, but it, I mean, it's not quite a rolling distribution, but it's a semi-rolling distribution. I'm not going to quite get into that. It, there's yeah, a little that'll be next week's topic. complicated, right? <laughs> um, but the goal of Rocky Linux and Alma Linux is to be what CentOS used to be and give people that back that had that in the past. And they're both solid choices. I'm not going to tell anyone to use one over the other. You could just just flip a coin for all I care. They're both good. And you know, you could add add um, Oracle to the list too, but I don't I don't have any experience with that, so I'm not going to speak to that. But my understanding is that it's also essentially the same thing. But I like to lump those into enterprise Linux. So Red Hat, um, not sent to us now, obviously. Yeah. Um, Rocky and Alma Linux, and that's going to be great for your enterprise. Um, you know, situations yeah. or home lab, if you prefer to use that and in your home lab. The reason I brought up CentOS is because it's a little foreshadowing when we get to XCPNG, because this is where appliances can confuse you of, we just said CentOS is dead, long live CentOS. <laughs> so, right. Well, <laughs> dead as we knew it, but it's been reborn into something else. Yep. Um, then we have your BSD, which I only bring it up, uh, not as much as a big talking point, but just, you know, we're going to talk about uh, TrueNAS and PFSense, which both have a TrueNAS core being BSD-based and PFSense being BSD-based. So uh, those two are, you know, just another popular distribution series. Now, BSD is obviously different than Linux, but, you know, nonetheless, it still yeah. lends itself to some really good appliances. Yep, it really does. Um, and we have Arch Linux on the list. And wait, what? Arch Linux? We're talking about servers? <laughs> Actually, Arch Linux can can legitimately be a great server OS. You have to go about it a bit differently, though, than others. I'm not, again, that's for another episode. But yep. um, we have the new version of Steam OS, I believe, is Arch Linux. I haven't, uh, well, that's right. deep, yeah, I haven't dived deep into it yet, but that's my understanding. And I fully support that. I think it might be strange for some people. A, ro a rolling distribution is the bait. Yeah, I mean, because you don't want to have to re-spin everything up again every six months. Um, again, yeah, being ahead of myself, but it is used in an appliance. Yeah, and that can be considered people, an appliance. 
Yeah, I mean, people are installing all kinds of things on their Steam Deck that you could probably argue doesn't belong. But if you can, well, you can, right? Or can you? We'll, we'll talk about that later. But anyway, yeah, Arch Linux is the foundation for some things as well, uh, believe it or not. So if you didn't already know that about the Steam Deck, well, now you do. Yep. So this covers... in. From there, you have your Ubuntu-based distributions, or I should say Debian-based, but there is some variation because Ubuntu does do a lot of contribution. But um, I, I always grouped them together as things that use apt-get. <laughs> yeah. It's the apt-get family of distributions. Um, That's fair. That, yeah, it's an easy way for me to try to distinguish them uh, of things that are using that package manager, which I've been a huge fan of. And the Debian uh, world is pretty reliable been around for a long time uh, but ubuntu being a popular one because ubuntu goes a little bit further where they add some of the things in that maybe debian doesn't like better support for yeah. hardware and things like that and ubuntu has not been afraid to let us have a little checkbox a little couple of proprietary drivers and uh, things like that doesn't mean they don't do controversial things but they're a popular uh distribution from that now it seems like to me not as many appliances are based on Ubuntu. They usually go back and base it off of Debian instead of Ubuntu. Is that yeah, I think that's because of the, there's a little bit of an unpredictable nature. It, it's predictable and unpredictable at the same time when it comes to Ubuntu. So it's important to remember they're a, you know, it's run by a company. It's going to serve company interests. Even though it's a community project, that's just what it is. So with Debian not being backed by a company, then there's less chance that there's going to be change that's going to like disrupt everything like when ubuntu finishes you know snapping all the things for example um if if someone that's developing something doesn't want to go down that path or any other path that canonical might choose then they'll they, they might stick with debian and i think that's probably why debian is more popular for that but um but then again you could even argue it could just be down to being based on the thing that Ubuntu is based on. Don't be based on the thing that's based on the thing. Just be based on the thing. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> so it creates, Basically. it creates a lot of confusion on there. Not so. confusing at all. Not confusing at all. All right. Now let's start talking about some of the different appliances and why you may want to use each one of yep. them. So we're going to run down the list here and we'll start with PFSense. Now, this is where I have actually met someone who did this. I was impressed. Um, you know, you can build your own firewall. You can take BSD and the PF filter is a very powerful filtering system that's been around for a long time in BSD. BSDs had a long enterprise history because of that. And PFSense was originally a fork, uh, uh, originally monowall, which forked into PFSense. And it's just been a solid performing with lots of options firewall. All these things you can do for yourself from the command line. I won't argue with people who do, but what one of the consulting jobs we had that was interesting is they were having a hard time hiring someone because this person hand built an incredible firewall for a very large company. And they were the only one who knew how to do it. And they kind of realized they trapped themselves into being uh, the only firewall manager. So this is where things like a firewall distribution like PFSense become a very popular choice because it makes ease of management and not having to learn everything from the command line or, you know, all the little switches it may take to set up a, a IPsec VPN from the command line or anything else. It puts them all in a nice UI. It also makes it really easy to have a technician if you need to rebuild a firewall. This goes for a lot of appliances. The ability to load the appliance software, it's customized very specifically. They trim all the fat they're going to put into the appliance, just what needs to be there. Then they usually throw in a, a way to manage it. Most of the time, it's going to be a web UI on there. That's the most common way. Um, and then this is the best part, like with PFSense, a single XML file that has all my settings in it. So if I need to reload it, I just need the latest 
download of an ISO. I need the XML file. Those are the two things I need. And I can have a almost junior level tech reload and rebuild a firewall. But if you were to build a firewall by hand, you would also have to build the backup by hand, the restore procedure by hand. You'd have to teach someone how to load the OS, set the packages up that need to be there, and then start putting all the config files back where they belong. You could also write an entire automation for that, but you can see why uh, how much of your time should be spent on one thing versus another comes down to whether or not you want to run an appliance or not. And PFSense is like a pretty low-hanging fruit one that's an easy example of probably best to run your firewall as an appliance, not build it. Build it if you plan to get into learning how firewalls work from an extreme fundamental level and really want to understand how to build uh, firewall rules or NAT or anything inside of the command line. That's great. But generally for, especially our audience here in Home Lab, you're going to want to run it as a distribution. Now, I, I could throw out there that Untangle is another one. I'm not positive they have a free version anymore. Um, and I think there's a few other like Linux-based firewalls that are still floating around out there. But by absolute huge margins, PFSense is one of the most popular firewalls out there uh, that's open source, that's uh, free. You know, even their PFSense Plus, I know someone will point that out. Um, they give you a license for it, but you can still get in the 2.6 and 2.7 versions of PFSense uh, for free. They're still continuing development on that version. So uh, despite everyone tells me all the time that they're not, <laughs> which always makes right. me laugh. Every version has been the last version since 2.4, according to the comments on my YouTube section. <laughs> well, there you go. <clears throat> but yeah, that's, you know, the firewall is probably, like I said, low-hanging fruit for one of the distros out there. Um, what about Proxmox, Shay? Let's talk about that one versus yeah. just running, because it runs what KVM and under the hood, right? Yeah, QEMU, KVM yep. combo. Um, so Proxmox most often is going to be downloaded as an ISO that you install bare metal. And I think everything on our list, well, most of the things on our list will be installable that way. But you, but like I was alluding to earlier, you could build it yourself. If you have a Debian server, um, already, you could just start going through the documentation on their website, and they'll tell you how to do that. So that's almost like a hybrid approach because it is both. You know, it, it is a distribution of its own, but it's also built on top of Debian proper. And the difference is some of these distributions that are based on other distributions have their own repositories. So something could be based on Debian, as in grabbing Debian's packages, putting it in their own repositories curating only the components that they absolutely need for that product. And that's what you can apt install, not anything outside of that. Or you have, you know, like in the case of Proxmox, the proper Debian repositories, and you can install whatever you want, which also means you can install some games if you wanted to. You could install GNOME <laughs> if you wanted to. Um, I'm not saying you should do that, but given the fact that it has all of Debian at its disposal, it can you could do that. Um, if, if you decided to do that for some reason. So that's why it's more of a hybrid instead of like, you know, just curating their own packages only, they, you know, have pretty much everything. So, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of nice. I mean, you can load all this stuff, but Proxmox makes it a lot easier to load it, give you a nice web UI on top of it to manage all of it. So uh, plus one for that. And the, the, just being able to apt get install whatever you want, makes it very flexible. And I understand completely, even though I'm not a big Proxmox user, I understand completely why people would like to use it in their home labs because I, that flexibility is awesome. Uh, so I definitely, definitely like that. But, and this is a uh, potential consulting that came in today and not the first time I've run into this. I don't know what they did 
um, they installed a lot of other things as usually the result of these consulting jobs. But someone says, hey, my Proxmox cluster is not performing the way it should. I've got all these problems. I get all these weird issues. It randomly reboots. And I I have done consulting where people and we tried it. We don't do much uh, consulting on it because it's like I need to know what you customize. And the answer is I don't know. Or the person before me changed all kinds of settings. This is a big downside to allowing people to do it. And then anyone may or may not do it. So you kind of got to take that into consideration. It's a lot of the danger uh, that comes out there. And I, I, yeah, it's just one of those uh, big warnings that come with these appliance-based distributions. It's just because you can customize them, really be conscious of what you're customizing. And that allows you to, uh, that may allow you to break the performance of it or just cause some weird incompatibility with the package you loaded. Yeah. And I think that's the main point here. I mean, there's some things that are very reasonable. So, um, when it comes to Ansible, I manage everything with Ansible. There's some things I don't. The appliances, I don't. You know, those, if it's going to be a system I built, sure. But if it's uh, TrueNAS, it's not that you can't manage it with Ansible. Sure, you can. You can manage anything with Ansible. Should you? Well, maybe. But what if you have a change in your Ansible config for your other servers that accidentally finds its way in a different role? And then next thing you know, you, you break your entire system. Um, so that's kind of the, the thing, but a more, um, I think agreeable change in my mind, I don't think anyone, even the support forums have a problem with is what I do. For example, with Proxmox is I'll install the NRPE, uh, package for Nagios so that it can mm -hmm. uh, monitor things. I think that's reasonable. I'm not, you know, reinventing anything. I just want the monitoring system on there. And I don't think anyone's going to ever have a problem with that. But if, um, I think the the main issue is sometimes you'll have people in forums, oh, my, my Proxmox isn't working. I'm getting this error. And then somebody responds, I've never seen that before. How did you manage to get that error? Then like three pages down, everybody's trying to troubleshoot it. Nobody could figure it out. And like, wait a minute, you installed Proxmox on Ubuntu? How did you do that one? And number two, why didn't you mention that at the beginning of this whole thing? Because we don't support that. And um yeah. It, it's kind of how it goes, right? If you decide to take an appliance into a different direction, then in my, I know some people disagree with me, but I really feel very firm on this. You are the support at that point. Don't go to the forums and right. ask them to support your custom Ubuntu Proxmox. The Proxmox forums is there to support Proxmox proper. At least tell them before you yeah. start going on, let them know that because that can be a little frustrating for the people that are trying to help. Yep. And, um, you know, you have to draw the line somewhere. I've seen people post on some forums, like um, maybe they'll post on the Arch Linux forums and they're using Manjaro. Maybe they're not, they're feeling like they didn't get a response fast enough on Manjaro's forums. So they ask their question over on the Arch Linux forums and you'll have, and these people are smart. They'll look for your question in other forums. So, um, but getting back to the point, when you take an appliance and you just, you know, add all these customizations to it, it's kind of like at what point is it no longer the appliance? It's kind of like that ship experiment, right? When you oh, replace yeah, yeah. one board at a time, at what point does that become a different boat, right? right. Um, <laughs> at some point it does because you've replaced every single part, but it operates the same thing. It looks like a boat, it floats like a boat, but is it actually the same boat? No. And at yeah. some point it becomes a completely different thing. And I think that's one, a decision you have to make. Is that something that you want to do? And you know, is that something you can get support on because you might be kind of making it hard for yourself? Yes. Um, and let's switch over to XCPNG, which takes a different approach. Now, this is where CentOS is going to come back because people, and I've had 
it's it's a misunderstanding, I should say, with people where they go, oh, man, I have to get rid of all my XCPNG because it's based on CentOS and CentOS isn't supported. And there are numerous blog posts and very detailed of exactly how this works um, in the blogs for Vates and XCPNG specifically. So Vates is the company behind it. Vates manages the repositories that drive XCPNG. So even though it does have YUM, it's CentOS based, so we can do YUM install, you can't install anything they didn't put in their repository. End of story. They've crafted, because this, this question comes up is someone will say, why is this version of this in here? And because I want the next version of it or something else. And he said, this is the version that we know works. It's about stability. So they craft each thing. They craft each kernel that goes into it. So even though it's CentOS and you're like, well, doesn't CentOS not get updates? There's regular updates almost every month for um, XCPNG for new features, new versions, and sometimes OS updates. That's because when a company takes the time to exclude all other repositories and have their own upstream, PFSense does this as well. You're not pulling from BSD. You're pulling from their crafted repositories to give this. This gives you a more predictable experience because it would take a great deal, not a great deal, I should say. It takes a lot more effort, though, to add all the extras in there to break something. This makes support costs, so to speak, lower the number of questions in there. Um, and like Jay said, if you do anything like that, you've decided to enable repositories that are going to pull in packages. I think it will just break if you do that, because once you start mixing uh, repositories, it'll go, I'm not sure which version to use. So let's just grab the new ones. And if they're custom-based appliance wasn't designed to do that, it can break quite a bit. But back to yep. XCPNG, one of the nice things about it is once you have, and anytime there's a new release, they also spin a new ISO of it. So you can always grab that ISO and quickly, if you have a server go down, or as we have a lot of clients that sometimes, I think we have one of them has like 30 or 40 of these servers, um, they can replace any one of them at any given time because it's just an ISO load. Once again, it goes back to a serviceability. I can have a pretty basic instruction set, like grab ISO, <laughs> load OS, wipe the machine, join back to pool. All the settings will come back because they're held within the pool as a collective. So all the settings come right back, done. Now we don't have to monkey with anything getting it set back up. I don't have our long install procedure, but XCPNG is, is nice because they allow you to build the server where it doesn't matter. Like the server is very replaceable, very quickly replaceable. You're not worried about a hardware dying. You're not worried about reloading it or joining more to it. It's not this labor intensive process. So XCPNG, I like the approach they take of customizing um, a very, you know, a focused repository without a lot of fluff in it. Makes the install very small, keeps you from wandering off the path without a lot of effort. So it should just work out of the box as expected. And you are getting support and updates. The team's very clear about that. So even though, yes, you can look at the OS version and scratch your head going, well, it's not a currently supported version, but you can trust that it is currently supported. And I'll mention this back again with PFSense. <clears throat> the 2301 PFSense is out in terms of uh, release candidate, and so is 2.7 is close as well. Both of those are based on FreeBSD 14. Now, PFSense is also customizing your repositories as an appliance, which means even though FreeBSD 14 doesn't have an expected release till later this year, you can still have a stable firewall because the people at NetGate are handcrafting the kernel for PFSense and customizing their appliance to work with a stable version of it, even though the release of the full operating system, but you got to remember, it's not a full operating system. So once again, you got to kind of think about that when you're looking at appliances. Yeah, I, I agree. And also um, what I said earlier about, you know, basically you are your own support 
if you, you know, I want to say fork a product or because essentially you're forking something. If you take it like a turnkey appliance, you know, distro and you add repositories, you forked it. I mean, that's what you've done. You've created your own thing. And then you are the support for it. If you decide to do that, you have every right to decide to do that. You are free to do that if you want to do that. But you are the support. But the same thing goes to companies as well. If they decide to base on a distribution and build something out of it, even a distribution that's not supported by the upstream vendor, they are the support. You know, in, the, in your example, XCPNG is the support. They um, are responsible for applying security patches. If there's a security issue, they're taking that on. And that's not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's a decision that they make. And from what I understand, they're doing a pretty good job of that. Yeah. Um, but whoever forks something, if they break it, they keep both pieces. But just because a company is based on something that might be end of life, then that doesn't really mean it's end of life in that product. And famously, Ubuntu has many times in the past released LTS distributions without of, or end of life kernels from, from day one. But they support it. They put the patches in there. They yeah. they cover the CVEs. The, even though it's a lot of work, and I don't think they should have done that. It's their right to do that. And as long as they're keeping up on security of all you know vulnerabilities, um, that doesn't mean that you're good to use that kernel on any other distribution. It's end of life. But if Ubuntu is taking that on and their security team is keeping eyes on it, then you know what? There's no problem with that. Yeah. The um the other fun one to talk about next is going to be the topic of storage servers. I think this is uh, where the arguments go crazy. So the really there's and there's good ones on this. I I go both ways when it comes to when we set these up because it comes down to it depends. And I need to do some more updated video on what it depends on because there's more things to talk about. So you have the Houston OS, which makes managing ZFS a lot easier when you have large drives. This is from the team over at 45 Drives. It's open source. Any of you can use it uh, on any Linux. I think it works on a multiple of Linux distros. I, they base it off a of, um, Debian when you get a 45 drive system, but they're flexible. The same will work, I believe, fine on CentOS or several others. It's based on cockpit. But what this does is gives you a nice web UI for managing your storage. And there's some good advantages to it. I just did a project where we have um, we needed 300 terabytes of Veeam storage. It's all going to go to S3 buckets. And I don't really need to run TrueNAS to run that. We, we actually just ran the whole thing with the 45 drives Linux space. The people we built this for, their internal administrators, very familiar with Linux. They like Linux. They are happy with it. They actually threw some Ansible things on it to monitor it. They, they've got like, it just integrates into their, what they're already doing. And that's a great excuse to build a storage server without going through like building a true NAS appliance. They were a little sketchy going, true NAS seems like we wouldn't be able to do what we wanted to do. And they were not wrong about that because the true NAS distribution is going to be more turnkey. Now, when you move to something like true NAS, first we'll split between core and uh, scale. So core is going to be your FreeBSD based one. It's tried and true. It's great performance. The jail system is okay, uh, but there's not a ton of apps for the jail system. But when you, we use that, uh, TrueNAS Core, like our choices for that are pretty much like someone wants a dedicated, often for virtual machine or large scale storage server with ZFS that's reliable, easy, and very simple to do your updates, very simple to do uh, replacement. You just grab the config file, that's it. Load the appliance, load the config file, it's great. Everything's just there. Turnkey, you have backups, you have ZFS replication. All of that's really nice in the UI. And all those things you set in the UI all download to one single config file, making it extremely easy to build and replace. 
and you don't want to spend too much time customizing it because it's just not designed to because TrueNAS curates the feed that goes into the updates in there. TrueNAS Scale, same answer. TrueNAS Scale now has support. They're using like a customized version of Kubernetes and Docker, a lot of custom implementation there, so you can run more containers on it. Jails, as it's called in the core series, or they're essentially just Docker containers. And they're very customized. So it's not exactly native Docker. They went a little different there. But what they are doing is, once again, creating a turnkey appliance that is great for managing ZFS, great for uh, having your shares set up, your Samba settings, all those little tunables, having a web interface so you can set up iSCSI real quick or an NFS share or a WebDAV share. Any of that's all done through the web interface. So there's a good argument to use those because I want to just create a turnkey solution that I drop in and I don't want to think about how do you actually write all the Samba stuff? How do you build all that? So it kind of goes back and forth of it depends on which one of those is the right path for you. If you want to have lots of customization, you definitely want to go with the Linux route on there. And I think the Houston I is nice because it will allow you to just start customizing it. But kind of, as Jay alluded to earlier, you're very on your own for support and going through forums because you're really diving into a custom solution of doing it. The tools, the web interface, the Houston UI does make setting up Samba a lot easier, setting up some of the uh, replication and snapshot features, which completely, you can learn how to do it from the command line. You can do it all with cron jobs. Do you want to? <laughs> that's a, that's yeah, the question I'm... you're asking yourself when it comes to storage. Uh, okay. You can do it. Is that where you want to spend your time? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I mean that, that's a great way to put it. And then, uh, you know, another hybrid approach we, you know, kind of touched on is Open Media Vault. I mean, same thing, yeah. right? We're talking about storage. And um, I feel like people asking for support in Open Media Vault forums with a you know manual system is going to be way more common um, because they actually offer a script you can just run on a Debian system. So they wouldn't create a script if they didn't want you to use it. Um, but also you could still run into issues all the same. I mean, if you custom compile some things and then their script tries to install an app or a, you know a dev package essentially for that same thing and there's a conflict there that can happen because that's the nature of customization. You could do whatever you want to do. And will the script work? Most likely, but it can't account for anything, although I've found it to be very stable. But it is a hybrid approach. You could just install it on an existing Debian server, and maybe that's a good fit for somebody who already has data on their Debian server. Maybe they have a bunch of files on there, and they manually did everything. And then, oh, maybe I would like to just you know convert it over to an Open Media Vault server. Um, what very few do well is having a direct sync between the config files on the file system and the UI, meaning it's like this unicorn that that um, we wish everyone could do, where you could just hand edit a file, and then the next time you check the UI in the web console, it has the most recent settings from those files, and if you change it there, it's changed on the underlying files too. That's hard to do. Um, so there's always going to be, a, or most of the time, a disconnect there, but um, that's just you know the nature of the beast. But then sometimes if you hand edit, hand edit files, then why did you install a web console? Because now they're out of sync. And then what do you do at that point? So, but Open Media Vault is is the hybrid approach that's kind of expected. I haven't tested that as much as I've tested the other ones, but I, I have uh, I have used it. I've done videos on it, and it, it, that's again an example of a hybrid approach. It's it's both a distribution. It, it's based on Debian. You could install it on Debian, but you could also download an image and run it on Raspberry Pi if you wanted to. Yeah, and I, I, I think I seen someone uh, threw this in the comments I was going to mention. Cockpit's interesting because it is a hybrid because it doesn't save everything to a database. Um, every time you edit, if you're editing a Samba config, it's actually editing the SC slash Samba when you edit um, different 
facets, it's pulling from there and doing a pretty good job of writing it back in the proper way. I'll throw out there, if you've ever used Webmin, Webmin will read config files. It writes them not always in the right way. It's been a while since I've used it. I remember it really making a mess out of uh, anything you do with Apache. Like once you've edited an Apache config file in Webmin, make it's not very clear. It doesn't do a great job of formatting the uh, file that it actually writes back out for that. So if you ever want to go back to the command line one, I, I remember like having to support stuff like, oh, you use Webmin to set this up, didn't you? Because it's just a whole bunch of series of numbers, no logical naming, no nice uh, formatting. Uh, so you, there's kind of a back and forth. I, I, maybe it's gotten better, but yeah, the, the appliances generally don't like you monkeying with it. Cockpit kind of being the exception, but you generally don't, you don't see cockpit running on an appliance. Right, right. That's true. And I think, you know, that's the point that there, there's some exceptions, but I would like to see a future where, you know, those things are more in sync because I could, you know, for the enterprise, you're going to have, um, you know, a larger enterprise, people of different experience levels or even just preferences. Someone just might want to use the command line because that's what they're comfortable with. And someone might prefer to use the web UI. It's fine. Um, but if you have two different mindsets in the same team, then which one wins? Do you cater to the person who's just starting out or uh, do they? Do you teach them command line stuff? If if they could both do their thing the way they like to do it, that's even better. But having that consistency between the web UI and config files, that's really hard to do. Yeah. All right. What's the, uh, we had another one on the list here. This is, I'll mention this because there's a few variations of it. Um, and I can't remember all of them, but people ask me about this and it's kind of interesting. Clear OS is one of them that's out there. Now, Clear OS was a independent tool that kind of, the idea was to replace the Windows small business server with it. Uh, so you could have like a turnkey operating system that did all the things. It's late. I haven't tested it in years. Uh, HP has since bought it and they've kept, um, fun saying they still have a free version, a community edition that you can download. It's also based on CentOS. It's kind of a neat distribution. I'm always mixed on those because they go back to that. You want something turnkey that will just do all the things for you. It will manage your storage and all your settings and be like a centralized server for all of your users and everything else. But that can be a little bit, uh, I've seen a break. That's how I, my interactions with it are usually from people who call us because it seemed to be popular in schools for a little while that couldn't afford or didn't want to spend the money on some of the um, standard Microsoft Active Directory stuff to do all the management of all the students and things like that because of licenses and KALs. And I get it. Um, but usually it broke because people tried to color outside the lines a little bit. They started customizing and adding more features on it. Those issues are kind of an interesting one out there from appliance standpoint. Um, but I've never seen any of them that I would say is robust enough. Like they always have these lofty goals of throwing everything possible into one mega box that does all of it, but I've never seen those hold up. And some of them, and I, I can't when you look, see if Claros is one of them and features, they also would throw the firewall in with all of it as well. And I'm like, in concept, that sounds good, <laughs> but because I, I can have one box because it's, they're even their slogan right here. One platform, one interface. <laughs> That's kind of a lot. Yeah, um, I wish. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. That's like the ultimate appliance. Uh, so it's got cloud apps on it, network apps, gateway sure. apps, server apps, system apps. Um, it's the everything. Ah, it's been a while I'm, since I've played with yeah. it, but that is, that's where I will say, and the reason I have it, the reason you don't see me running around singing praise of these, I've never seen these work extremely well. Um, they're, they try to promise too much. They try to put a lot into it. It takes a lot to manage that because you think about how hard it is just to manage the PFSense project as a firewall. Think about doing a firewall and a storage server 
and then user management and then VPNs and everything in one single box. Once you start getting right. into it, I use clear as an example. They're not the only one out there doing this. I've always shied away from a lot of those. Um, it's also scary that your edge device, if you're using it as a firewall is also where your storage and users live. Um, you know, at, insert uh, your favorite movie. We're in, we broke the firewall, <laughs> but now they didn't get into your network and have to figure out how to get into your NAS. They, they're in both. <laughs> That's that to me is just at some point you, as much as, you, you have a lot of stuff you want to put in your firewall. There comes a point where maybe my storage server shouldn't. My data is really what you're after if you're trying to get in, whether you're trying to encrypt it uh, through some ransomware, you want to exfiltrate it to for whatever reason, because that the data is the gold, whether it's to encrypt it and extort me for it or take it because it has some value. Um, having it on a separate server means they if they get by the firewall, if they impersonate a user of the VPN, there's still one more, hopefully, defense that you have good passwords on however you control user management on your storage so you can not have them in it. So I've always shied away from some of those all-in-one mega boxes, I would call them. I Always a yeah. lofty goal. Um, they, then they will sing the praises. It reduces your IT costs because everything is just one server. <laughs> right. We should, I think they should rename it Unicorn OS. Yeah. I think that'd be a better name for it. Maybe I'll just call these Unicorn distros. I mean, I hope that's something that some someone's able to do, but I, I look at these like from the standpoint, I've seen so many of these come and go, you know, they, all these promises um, of compatibility with this and, and with that. I think that's um, why the Steam Deck is the true unicorn because it works very well. Um, but most of the, t I mean, but then, then again, that's a single-purpose device. These all-in-one things. It's like, well, that'd be awesome, but do we want that? Is it a good idea? You know, I think Ian Malcolm <laughs> said something like, you know, you didn't even bother to think if you should. You know, you, yeah, you, you could. Don't know if you should, but you know, I'm not trying to say that everyone on this project should just give up. I mean, if they feel like they can pull this off, they should continue working on that for sure. But I just get a little, um, I don't know. I, I, I've just seen so many of these come and go that it just, it's just hard to impress me at this point, unless they do it, then that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I applaud the effort, <laughs> That's, but uh, it's yeah. uh, not something I'm ready for. Honestly, uh, hard when you look at the overall cost, if you're thinking from a business perspective, outside of some power concerns, because I know European power is more expensive and I know I have a European audience, so I feel that for you. But the compute power is relatively cheap now. Firewall appliances uh, are not incredibly expensive, even you know the NetGate ones and things like that. I know we're going to have some import prices, but that's not usually where the biggest time sink is. So having some of these as separate devices might just make more sense. And it's not like the cost savings isn't there when it used to be. Hardware used to be substantially more expensive okay. when you started adjusting to today's rate. I mean, especially you, you go back far enough, it's almost incredible that anyone had a Commodore 64. I mean, you're talking about a computer that cost thousands in today's dollars that yep. did very little. Now we can afford these really inexpensive, small mini PCs. You can find used equipment for cheap. So um, it's not the problem I think it used to be when it comes to cost. The technology costs, you know, economies of scale, popularity of these things, they've driven way, way down. So having these things separate might make a little bit more sense. And hey, if you have a storage server update that you need to push, you push it and have the users offline. But when you have it all as one, you're also rebooting your firewall to reboot your storage server. So... <laughs> I don't, it just seems yeah. like everything can go wrong there. <laughs> well, another aspect is security because what, yeah. you know, what if 
company Acme comes out with a or, or project or whatever comes out with a distribution that is all the things and, and everything does work 100 percent and it's great um and they they've you know succeeded but then they also have like a, a couple hundred cves that they've created by you know wrangling all that together and then next thing you know um reputation goes down because it's um something that people are able to easily break into then i mean yeah. there's a tug of war here i mean you add custom code and you keep doing that but all the custom code you add can create CVEs, which is why I squirm a bit when um, someone uses this, you know, insert name of browser here that has like two developers. And, um, you know, I make the comment, well, it's probably not secure, but it's based on an open source browsing engine. That's great for the browsing engine, but the UI is custom and there's a possibility that CVEs can be created or exposed through custom code. So hopefully, I'm wrong and the projects like you know like <laughs> that are great but it's just again it's really hard seeing what I've seen when you get to this point in your career you know <laughs> it's just like the you have the eager cadets and then you have the general that's been there done that right um it's kind of like the same thing here it's like oh boy here we go again <laughs> yeah it's funny before we started this uh show I was I I went I ran over to distro watch to take a run through memory lane on some of the distros but that'll be our topic for next week but I I rolled it all the way back to 2002 and go oh yeah those distros were trending back then I mean uh, my Linux career started a long time ago just like Jay's so we've been doing this for a minute <laughs> we've, we've yeah, seen we've, a lot come and go <laughs> we've been to you know we started at the point where we thought distro watch was a you know a, a clear answer to which distros are are the most famous and then you graduate to later in your career realizing it doesn't mean anything um mm -hmm. you know all these different things you learn i think distro watch is a really good metric because how you think of distro watch is pretty much identical to where you are in your uh, linux career basically <laughs> yep um i will answer a question someone had in there uh with zfs yes you can actually move with zfs from appliance to distro and back provided that you aren't on the wrong versions of ZFS. ZFS can be imported to different appliances. So uh, there actually is some fun you can have with storage servers like that of trying things and then bringing your pool in, but you have to make sure you're matching versions. You can't go forward. So if your ZFS pool is built on a newer version of ZFS than the appliance has available, it's easy enough to do if you're doing it from a distro, you're going to grab the latest. Uh, but if you're doing it from appliance side, make sure the appliance is probably what you want to build with first because you can ZFS is backwards compatible but not forward. So you, you can have some problems, problems importing pools. So I'll, I'll mention that for people that want to play because <laughs> I think that's a, that's a pretty relative question because uh, it, it's one of the exceptions because you're for firewalls, you're not necessarily going to take PFSense. There's no exporting config files because PFSense saves everything in a, in a XML file. So you're not grabbing the config files and building your own PFSense firewall off of what, it wrote in slash Etsy slash whatever um, you're building it uh, by hand again. There's not much interoperability between firewalls, but Hey, there is for uh, ZFS. Your data is separate from the operating system if you're doing it right. So <laughs> I think ZFS is a unicorn that actually exists. ZFS is a unicorn. It is um, magical for sure. It, it actually exists, though. That's the difference. <laughs> it, it does exist. I've, I've sung the praises of ZFS. That's why I have shirts, because uh, I've been since being a cult member of ZFS. So I said, yes, we're a cult with integrity. So <laughs> that's good. I, I like that one. I like that yeah. one a lot. So uh, I do have those shirts available if, if people want to be part of the ZFS cult with integrity, because I don't know how else to say it. Uh, yeah. 
Fun All right. Well, thank you for joining us. And we left it up, but we forgot to say at the beginning, but we do have feedback at the Home Lab Show. So that's feedback at the Home Lab dot show. We love hearing from you. Uh, we I've been, you know, trying to get more of these Q&A episodes going. We want to make sure we're engaging with the community as best we can. So uh, drop us a line, drop us an email. Uh, we like reading the questions and, you know, it gives us some uh, more things to talk about and maybe help some people along their path and their homeland journey. So that's, uh, yep. this is, it all started with us and it's, um, we're trying to pass it on. We know a lot of people are just now getting into it. We want those people who are just getting started. Let's ramp you up faster and uh, get you started in this home lab fun. Oh yeah. Fun times. Fun times. Yeah. It's, uh, man, there's so much to talk about, but we'll save that for next week. Cause I'm excited to talk about the distro one. <laughs> Jay see me listing it. He's very, going to start talking about it this week. I'm like, Oh no, that's all of next week's topic. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh yeah. Uh, distro hopping. That's what we should distro, call it, man. Distro hopping. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's what it's, I think there's value in doing it. And we'll talk about that too. <laughs> we could just call it the distro hopper starter kit. Distro Perfect. Hopper Perfect. Starter Kit. All right. that's That'll be fun. See everyone next week. Love hearing from you. Uh, and if you have a favorite distro, uh, bring it up because maybe there's something we haven't heard of or that you like for some particular reason. Let us know your favorite distro. Feedback at thehomelab.show. And thanks.